Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on Two Black Guys with Good Credit, we dug into the crates for a classic episode. We hope you enjoy it. Yes, we are finally talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Nothing before it's time, I guessed. And the time is now. Today's guest is straight from the street. Wall Street, people. What were you thinking? We're a financial show. Prath is sitting in with us, and he's going to break down Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and give you the real as he and we see it. Bitcoin, crypto, let's go. Two black guys with good credit. We're here. Big Sean, why are we talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and why did it take so long to do this show? Arlington, for the 25 years that I've known you, I have never seen you get so excited. Only the time, last time I seen you so excited when you drove by me your French Le Car in 1983. So for you to get this excited about some kind of investment, something called Bitcoin, we had to do a show on it. So you convinced me. We're here. I brought in my main man, Prath, to talk about it. So let's get it started. All right. Well, there you have it. Big Sean is, I guess, following my lead in a sense. And he brought his man along for the ride. So sit back and relax because two black guys with good credit. We're talking Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. We're going to break it down. Arlen, you should be saying we'll be back in a bit. Get it? (laughs) Cut, Cut this man off, please. Commercial. Matt, take us away. Thanks, Arlington. This sponsorship break is brought to you by CLEAN. CLEAN is a financial literacy program designed to educate youth in a fun and interactive way through class lessons, workshops, and web seminars. To bring it to a school or organization near you, please visit www.financiallyclean.com. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. You know us, Two Black Guys. We're the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. And today we are talking Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And we have a guest, Prath, in the building. Can you tell the people a little something about yourself? Yeah, you got it. Uh, Hey, everybody. Um, So I actually work with Sean Dion on 
on a, a nonprofit that I'm sure the audience is uh, familiar with that's financially clean. It's a little plug there. Um, but, Shameless uh, plug. Thank you. <laughs> but away, <laughs> away from them, uh, I've been working uh, on Wall Street for the last, um, call it eight years or so, uh, first with a French bank and most recently with UBS. And uh, I mainly deal with uh, companies and helping them raise uh, debt in the debt markets. You're about to give it all up to trade Bitcoin at home all day long, every day, right? In your penthouse in some anonymous place in New York City, which we can't name today. <laughs> Don't tell my bosses that. <laughs> Good Lord. All right, Frath. Well, thank you. And like we do every show, Dion, the lady with the facts, can you give us a little history on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? My pleasure. Well, we all know... Right now, all the buzz is revolving around Bitcoin, right? Yes. <laughs> Thanks for the sound effects. But there were several attempts, actually, at creating cryptocurrency dating all the way back to 1998. Not sure if you knew this. But um, there were uh, currencies like Bitgold and B-Money. Okay. Uh, in 2008, after the crash, uh, someone by the na- that's actually going by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto... He actually published a white paper in a discussion group called Bitcoin. And just so you know, to this day, nobody really knows the identity of this Satoshi Nakamoto, which also creates a little mystery around this whole thing. But in 2009, Bitcoin software was made available to the public and what they call mining began. Uh, It was in 2010 that Bitcoin was traded online for the first time. Uh, in 2011, other cryptocurrencies started popping up. Uh, by 2013, Bitcoin reaches a value of $1,000. Whoa, but millionaires made. <laughs> oh, millionaires <laughs> However, <lost. laughs> it plummets. But it took about almost two years to recover. Fast forward to 2017, Bitcoin reaches, uh, actually hit $16,000, and that's when all the talk begins. Hell breaks loose. It's a frenzy. Blood in the water. Everybody wants money. All right, so Prath, since you're our main man on this scene and you're giving us all the info, we felt like in order to really begin this this discussion, there were a couple of terms that needed to be defined so that the person at home could follow along. So I'm going to ask you, you, I'm going to give you the term, you give me the definition. We'll keep it simple. That works. First one, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, what is it, right? That's the big question. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, I really think that Bitcoin has a couple different definitions, um, but they all kind of relate to one another. And at the end of the day, all um, kind of speak to the ultimate definition that I have. So, you know, some people call it a cryptocurrency. Other people uh, define it as a speculative asset, uh, which is kind of what you saw towards the end of last year. Everyone trying to jump on the bandwagon. Um, other people call it a commodity because, you know, there's only a limited supply of it out there. And, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on that later. Um, But I think the best definition of Bitcoin is really that it's the first application of blockchain technology and uh, the one that was the most mainstream and the one that's gained the most notoriety over the last, uh, call it, seven, eight years. Okay. Cryptocurrency. So cryptocurrency. um, So cryptocurrency is is really uh, a a whole basket of uh, assets that are out there. Um, Cryptocurrency is a very general definition. Um, uh, Blockchain is definitely a cryptocurrency, but there's plenty of other cryptocurrencies out there. Um, But cryptocurrency itself is is a very broad definition of of anything that um, that is blockchain oriented or 
um, has been issued via, via these tokenized uh, sales that have gone over the last two years I or so. I know when our listeners hear blockchain, they're probably picturing blocks and bicycle chains or chains. So let's just break down this whole blockchain a little bit deeper. So mm-hmm. can understand. I know for myself, familiarizing myself with this whole cryptocurrency and blockchain, it took me a while to kind of pick it all up. So let's get off the block and into the chain and figure out like mm-hmm. kind of what that means in simple terms. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I, still at the point that people are envisioning blocks and a chain. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I think the best way to think about what blockchain is um, is to is to define it. Um, and then kind of explain what that definition means. So, yeah, Sean jumped ahead. Yeah, he jumped a little ahead, but it's okay. We'll, we'll reel ahead. it all back. You know, we'll we'll, right. we'll backpedal a little bit on this chain. Um, so, you know, I think that it's it, it's best described as a kind of a, a decentralized trust network. So, what does that really mean? So, you know, when we go online right now and uh, we want to transact with somebody else online, you know, you don't know who that person is. You don't know if they're going to be. Um, you know, trustworthy on their end, whether they're going to actually honor that kind of contract that you're making with them. So whatever that is, you're buying something from them or, you know, you're, you're setting up an Airbnb or, you know, whatever it is online. Now, mm-hmm. usually there's kind of this trusted third party that's sitting in the middle between you and that other person. So anything peer-to-peer online isn't really peer-to-peer because you have, you know, Amazon in the middle or Airbnb in the middle or Uber in the middle. You have all these companies in the middle that are kind of connecting people. Now, blockchain kind of, you know, breaks all that down. It, it allows for people to transact with one another, um, kind of transfer value and ownership amongst two people without needing that third party in the middle. And it's profound and important because over the last year or two years, we've seen, you know, uh, uh, an insurgence of hackers kind of getting into servers um, and, and stealing people's personal information. Right. And obviously that, you know, that leads to all sorts of problems for everybody using the Internet and the way that we use it today. So blockchain is really here to create a, uh, you know, a sense of, of privacy, uh, security, um, and a way for us to transact um, you know, instantaneously in some cases, uh, that'll really bring kind of the internet to the next stage. So what you're trying to say, it's open. Like I can peek through your window and see what's going on, right? Yeah. I can climb a ladder, go up to the 20th floor and look into your penthouse and see what's Pratt's cooking today. That's, that's blockchain, right? That's, that's <laughs> absolutely right. That just sounds creepy. <laughs> it's that's like creepy shit. Exactly Let's go to jail, Arlington. I don't know if that's blockchain. Let me know that you make macaroni and cheese every day, keeping all day. Tom I chain. know what you're yeah, cooking now. I know what you, I'm blocking my chain and I'm figuring out what you're Invasion cooking Invasion of now. privacy chain. Exactly. Well, working off that analogy, you'll not only see what I'm cooking, but you're going to see what my neighbor's cooking, what ingredients that I've given him in return for the ingredients that he's given me, and what the whole street's cooking up on any given night. Exactly. Before, you just, you would know what everybody's cooking. Now I know what you're cooking with this blockchain. Okay, well look, I just want to stop this analogy in its track, and I'm going to ask the last definition, which is important. What is mining? <clears throat> so mining is, is kind of the, uh, what's going on between people in that, in, that, in that model that I just kind of described where there's no third party. So rather than having a third party, you have these decentralized network of computers out there. When I say decentralized, I mean that you know you have a computer, I have a computer, your neighbor has a computer, your friends have computers. They're all kind of linked into this um, this network where they're all contributing to verify those transactions that are taking place on the blockchain. 
So, for instance, to take it back to Bitcoin, you know, if I mm-hmm. have Bitcoin um, in Arlington, you have Bitcoin, um, yes. and you want some of my Bitcoin, I'm going to go online and I'm going to create a transaction, and it's and that transaction is going to uh, signal to the market and to the, all these networks of computers that have a whole history of every Bitcoin transaction that's ever taken place, and it's going to verify. Wait a second, Prath, have we slipped off the ball? We're talking about mining. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting to mining. mining. I'm getting, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm getting to mining. Okay, so okay. okay. These, we're, taking, we're taking a long way around the block. All right. So these computers are verifying all these transactions and making sure that what I say I have is actually what I have and what you say you have is actually what you have and is verifying that this transfer is being made. Now, in order for these computers to be online and be incentivized to verify those transactions – they are running these complex mathematical formulas in the background. Um, and in, in return for doing that computational work, in, in return for verifying those transactions, they are earning some Bitcoin in return. And that is what mining is. Mining is nothing more than having these computers online that are running all of these processes to, uh, to essentially make, to maintain the system and maintain the blockchain going forward. It's really... You know, as we call oh, it, as we call, oh God. As we call Sean it, Sean putting us like in someone else's window. Five O is watching. You know what I'm saying? Five O is looking around, making sure that everybody's doing the right thing, make sure nobody's not doing. If you're cooking pizza in your house, you better be cooking pizza. Prath is cooking Chinese. You better be cooking Chinese. And Five O is there. And if not, you're getting locked up. That's what it's all about. Am I right? There's a big, you know, that's what he's mining his business. Mining. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Prath. I, I, okay, let's just move on. Is Bitcoin a currency or would you call it something else? Um, I mean, I definitely think Bitcoin can be considered a currency. I think over the last year or so where it's running up in value, you know, nobody wants to let go of their Bitcoins and no one wants to actually spend any of their Bitcoins on anything because, you know, you spend $10 a Bitcoin a day and it's worth $20 tomorrow, then you feel kind of ripped off, right? Um, so from that perspective, I don't think it is now, but its intended purpose originally was to do that. Now, that's not to say that it's never going to be able to get back on track and, and uh, have a stable uh, rate uh, you know, relative to the dollar, and it's going to you know, kind of get past this period of volatility where we can start using it as a currency again. But you know, I think it's going to go through these cycles, and some points it's going to be used as a currency, and other points it won't be. It'll be, it'll be used more of a store of value, like gold. I look at you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I know, and originally I was looking at them interchangeably, like all is one, but now to understand and listening to you guys, can we say that, okay, cryptocurrency is a new worldwide currency, correct? Right, Prath? Yeah, that's fair. In simple terms. It's global. And I would say, you know, just because of the proud Canadian that I am, let's just call Bitcoin the Canadian coin. And the other currencies could be another coin named like the equivalent of a U.S. dollar. Uh, and then there's another coin that would be like a German dollar and a British pound. So there are all these different coins now that are forming this whole cryptocurrency on different exchanges. And because Bitcoin right now is a hot commodity and hot demand, the price of Bitcoin is driving up. While another coin, let's just call it a coin from some other place, may not have the same kind of demand. People don't want it as much. So that's why the price may not be as volatile. Can we say that's what it is? I think that's totally fair, yeah. I mean, there's other cryptocurrencies out there that are kind of taking Bitcoin's place as being better payment processors and better payment coins. And a couple of examples would be Litecoin and Monero and, and Dash. So just to give you an idea, guys, just to put things into perspective, back in July, 
There were fewer than a thousand cryptocurrencies on the market. As of this last December, there were th- over 1,364. So anywhere from 50 to 100 new virtual currencies are being introduced each and every month. So it's moving fast. But Bitcoin is still the most popular. It makes up about 54% of the cryptocurrency market, valued at about $589 billion. Yeah, Bitcoin is definitely the biggest one out there. That's why, while there are many other cryptocurrencies, we called the show Bitcoin because that's the one that everyone... It's the brand name. It's the Nike of the crypto world, I would say. So, Prath, why is peer-to-peer transacting so important and this whole idea of decentralizing this ecosystem so important? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you you think back, you know, peer-to-peer networks aren't a new thing. Um, I'm sure we all remember... Napster and Kazaa and, you know, all the other kind of peer-to-peer music sharing uh, websites and services that used to exist and still exist. Um, you know, there's BitTorrent, uh, which is also a peer-to-peer network. I think these are important because, you know, you don't have to rely on a third party. And again, it goes back to the reason why I stated earlier, you know, you're giving all your personal information, credit card information um, to, you know, these, these trusted uh, entities uh, and at the end of the day, they're supposed to be able to, um, you know, safeguard all of that. And, you know, recently they haven't been able to do that for us. And that that's disintegrated the kind of the trust that we have with them. And, you know, I think there's going to be more and more demand for peer-to-peer type of of, uh, of networks, um, to, especially when you're talking about transacting value. You know, you were saying this trust has eroded. When did this trust erode? Are we talking about 2008? Or is, is that when you're saying the trust seemed to have eroded? With the collapse of the markets? There's a little bit of the, the trust in the banking system that certainly eroded as of 2008. I think the masses kind of came together, and, and uh, you know, there's a good chunk of society that you know, still has a, a great mistrust in, in banks and Wall Street. And you know, working on Wall Street, I can, I can attest to that for <laughs> sure. Um, but you know, I think more importantly, you know, on an individual basis, uh, I think all of the hacks that we've seen over the last couple of years uh, are definitely driving more fear amongst uh, consumers. You know, we'll, we'll talk about like, if, if we think about Equifax, for example, they got a huge, you know, data breach and everybody's credit scores all of a sudden, um, you know, became compromised, um, you know, right. and when we're talking about trust in the financial system, they should go kind of one in, you know, hand in hand with one another. Um, and I think this decentralized system kind of solves a lot of those problems. Do you think Bitcoin is going to change the financial world? You know, I don't know if Bitcoin specifically will change the financial world, but I certainly think that the underlying technology of blockchain will change the financial world. I mean, there are uh, a number of banks across the street that are working on a couple different uh, public and private blockchain initiatives. Um, I'm sure, you know, if you've kind of followed the crypto space, you've heard of Ripple and, and Stellar and as these kind of other up-and-coming yeah. cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. You know, these mm-hmm. are all, um, you know, cryptocurrencies that are actually uh, with, uh, you know, being developed by a consortium of different financial institutions because, you know, it's not just you and I that see some value in, in, in this market and in these coins. It's, it's all the institutions in the world realize the power of the blockchain and they're all scrambling trying to figure out what the best use cases for themselves are. And, uh, you know, the banks are, are certainly not turning a blind eye to it. In this conversation, it would be you myself and Dion, that guy beside you is not seeing it. 
Right. (laughs) 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 Well, the philanthropist guy that I am, you know, and the capitalist that you are, maybe I don't see the same things because you only see dollar signs. But that segues right into the question I have for you. I know around 2008 when Bitcoin first came out, it was coming around the whole Occupy Wall Street initiative and so forth. And people were looking at this as an alternate way in which to trade amongst themselves. And I know they were even going as far as saying in third world countries, Mm -hmm. they could be using Bitcoins to buy goods and buy services and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it would help, you know, under underprivileged countries and so forth. Do Mm -hmm. you still think this is helping the unbanked people around the world? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I don't know if Bitcoin specifically is the end-all, be-all solution, but I certainly think that uh, the blockchain can be a catalyst for that and other currencies that come out and technologies that come out on the blockchain can help solve the uh, the unbanked and underutilized populations of the world. So then, um, let me ask you a question. Your, your family's originally from India, right? Right. So you have cousins, relatives still in India? Yeah, so absolutely. So have you given some of your Bitcoin to trade on? <laughs> I, I have not. <laughs> have you shared some of your Bitcoin with them? I, uh, to keep the movement going? To keep the Occupy Wall Street going? I, I, I think I, the man said Bitcoin is rising. May, maybe I've been a little greedy. Said, <laughs> Prath, Prath said Bitcoin is rising. At an alarming rate, he's hanging on to all of his Bitcoin. The cousins of Prath are listening to the show right now. He has a, a few little Bitcoins in his wallet. Let's not say how much. You should call on him and ask him to, toss, to trade in a few rubles for a few Bitcoins. What do you think that? I would say I got, I got more than a couple for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they use rubles in the They India? use rubies in India, man. Come on. Rupees. That's like a, that's like a hybrid rubles. between rubles and rupees. <laughs> well, they don't mind getting a few ripples. <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, I, I definitely think that there, it, there are initiatives going on out there. I, I encourage the audience and your listeners to go check out Abra. Um, so Abra is a great uh, payment platform that's being developed right now where it's kind of encouraging these cross-border payments um, that are free of charge for you to send money back home to wherever home might be. Um, and it's supposed to kind of upend the, uh, you know, Western Union business models and, you know, kind of the traditional remittance platforms that are out there. So, Prof, why did Bitcoin have such a run last year? It's been around for a few years. Why was last year the year? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's for a couple of reasons. So um, I think the main reason is that, you know, it's certainly gained a lot of attention because of a of uh, another uh, competitor cryptocurrency that has started emerging over the last two years called Ethereum. Um, and, uh, you know, Ethereum is, is kind of a different beast in and of itself, but still considered a cryptocurrency. And, but it enabled uh, people uh, like you or me or whoever would like to uh, develop a blockchain system be able to do that on Ethereum and develop their own cryptocurrencies. So the demand for new cryptocurrencies also drove the demand for Bitcoin itself because Bitcoin was kind of the the launch pad for how you could invest in these other cryptocurrencies. So you needed to get into Bitcoin first in order to invest in Ethereum or other ones. So that also drove the price of Bitcoin up. So I think that is the number one reason why. Um, number two reason why, um, I, you know, I think that it also happens in cycles. Um, and this kind of goes back to your mining question earlier. You know, part of the Bitcoin algorithm is that the amount of Bitcoins that you can mine um, for every block that is discovered um, actually halves every four years. So after the first four-year period, which ended in 2012, 
uh, or 2013, you saw that run up and that kind of price hit uh, 1200 bucks at the end of 2013. Well, after four years later, it halved again, and then you saw the price run up again after another four years. So I think it kind of happens in a four-year cycle going forward. And again, that's purely speculation, but I think there might be some correlation there for sure. Real quick, because I'm not sure we've gotten this out. What's the total amount of Bitcoin that's available to be mined? Uh, 21 million is the total amount that can ever be in circulation. But you can break that down in fractions. People are now buying fractions of Bitcoin and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It can be broken down out to, I believe, eight or nine decimal places. And I believe the uh, the smallest amount of Bitcoin, which is that uh, eighth decimal point, is actually called a Satoshi. Isn't that what you own? Arlington, a lot of Satoshis? Isn't that what you have? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I read something today that they're going to start calling them, um, they're going to start calling them bits. Bits instead of bits. Bitcoin because of the frac- the fractionalization. I read an interesting article, and it says, you know, I'm just going to quote it. It says, the thing that gives Bitcoin value is other people giving it value, which is strange, the thing to wrap your one's mind around. But, you know, the, its value is based on just the supply. People saying, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. Because at the end of the day, like Prath says, you're not really exchanging anything for it right now. So people reluctantly say, no more Bitcoin. It could actually, to me, deflate the dollar, the the value of Bitcoin, you know, and that leads to, you know, Prath, how do you actually buy a Bitcoin and explain how the the trade happens and and the whole regulation behind it? Sure. So, I mean, there's there's various different ways of buying Bitcoin. And I think, you know, traditionally and and the best way to still do it now is is through an exchange. Um, I think the most well-known one out there is called Coinbase uh, for folks here in the United States. Um, so simply you go on Coinbase.com, you set up an account, uh, you link it to your bank account, um, and from there you can see the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash. So those are the four cryptocurrencies that Coinbase currently supports. Um, and whenever you want to transact, you just go ahead and swap dollars out of your account for any one of those four cryptocurrencies, and it settles, and then all of a sudden you, you have some Bitcoin in your account. It's pretty easy. When you, say, when you say in your account, you actually mean a wallet. Yeah. So on Coinbase. Explain the wallet. Yes. Yeah, so on Coinbase, there, there are wallets on Coinbase, but they are wallets that are actually owned by Coinbase. Uh, and when I, when I say that, uh, I mean that they're actually in control of your private keys. And your private keys are what uh, allow you uh, to secure your, your respective wallets. Um, so when I, when I say private keys, I guess I'm going to take a step back and just kind of explain what's going on here. So when you have a traditional bank account, you have an account number with, call it, Bank of America. And you go online and you know what that bank, uh, you know, that, that bank account number is. And you're able to give that out to other people, um, and they can, you know, deposit money into your bank account at their will. Um, and there's no other, you know, necessary information for the other party to have in order to actually deposit funds in your account. Now, with cryptocurrencies, it's on an encrypted model with a public and private key. So what that means is there's a public key, which is your wallet's address, and there's a private key, which is kind of the pin to that wallet that you need to secure and you have in your possession. And if you give it to anybody else, they can use that private key and transfer the funds out of there to another wallet. So it's really kind of a pin and account number model, but it's just simply called public and private key. And now it's important because Coinbase uh, owns your private key. So if, uh, if, if you want to transfer uh, any money out of that 
out of that wallet to another one, you're you're free to do so, um, but you just don't know what your private key is, which um, which you can get get you into some trouble because in the past exchanges have been hacked, and having your private keys on an exchange is is no safer than having a bank account online. Uh, it kind of defeats the purpose of having cryptocurrencies to begin with because now you're entrusting a third party to hold on to your private keys, right? The whole point of this is that you don't need a trusted third party. So you want to get those keys off of Coinbase um, and set up a wallet elsewhere that you do actually have control of those private keys. Okay. So Sean mentioned something a moment ago, which I found really interesting. He was saying that Bitcoin has the value it has because of demand, essentially. But isn't that true for gold as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, gold and even the U.S. dollar, I mean, what, what really backs the U.S. dollar other than the full faith of the U.S. government that, you know, it's, it's good and legal tender? Um, I, I think the main value behind Bitcoin uh, and why it's being used as kind of Internet money, so to speak, is because it solves the double spend problem online. Now, but you it's know, not doing that today. It's not doing that today. It's not really using as a currency. People are just trading on it. I think capitalism has just bit into Bitcoin, and no pun intended, and that's kind of defeated the whole purpose of it as a currency because now people are just using it to really trade on. And I buy it for a dollar. I want to sell it to you for ten, and then you buy it for ten. I want to sell it to him for twenty. And there's nothing being exchanged on the coin itself anymore. I agree. Or it never has. I agree. Um, you know, certainly the state that Bitcoin is in today is very difficult because the transaction fees are super high and it takes multiple days to clear and it's really not, uh, you know, fulfilling its original intended uh-huh. purpose. Isn't that an opportunity then? This is why I'm not, I'm not sold on Bitcoin. Isn't that an opportunity? You just said turnaround time is long. It's expensive. So if somebody comes and does it cheaper and faster, mm-hmm. and that's business one-on-one, mm-hmm. they're going to surpass Bitcoin. Am I lying? Am I right? Well, I think you're onto something here. And that's why there's a there's kind of, a, I'd say about a dozen other cryptocurrencies out there right. that do exactly that, that do it faster, Good that point. do it cheaper, that a lot of people are using now for actual online right. payments. So why are you stuck on Bitcoin then? Because we keep talking about it. <laughs> so it's right. propaganda. Back to Sean Lind of the Economist. Hire me. Exactly. It's all propaganda. Bitcoin. No, bi- Bitcoin. I think what, what most people, I think. What, what, what I'll say is Bitcoin is relevant. Relevant because it is a propaganda. <laughs> a beginning. No, it's a beginning. The beginning. It is the it is the longest uh, use case of blockchain that we have to date. So it certainly proved its point that blockchain works, um, and it's also proven that the open source model works too. Uh, because anyone can come on there, developers can come on there, tinker with Bitcoin, make it better. So the Bitcoin that you see today is not going to be the Bitcoin that you see 10 years from now, because it's going to continuously be updated and you know modified a, and, and, and made better by, you know the, by the community. Have you heard of Atari? Arlington's heard of Atari. Have you heard of Atari? I've heard of Atari. I've been around well, the block. Last time we've seen an Atari system. You hear PlayStation. People are going to do it better. Atari's not around. Any first in-person doesn't mean it's the best all the time. Right. The biggest differentiator between Atari and Bitcoin, though, is that Atari was an open-source software. That didn't mean that anyone could go in and tinker with Atari systems and make it better for the whole community, while Bitcoin is open source. So anyone can go in there and make it better. So that adds to Which my allows you to just build faster. I think, one, I think one of the things that Sean is saying, which is very true, is that people don't understand Bitcoin was the beginning. 
and all these other cryptos that have come along have fixed the problems with Bitcoin, just the same way Apple came along and fixed problems with Mac with um, PCs and created a Mac. It's like an evolution. But because we all grew up with dollars and cents, we just take it at face value. But there was a time we were trading goats and then we were trading gold coins, silver coins. Then we finally went to a, a dollar backed by gold and then we dropped the gold. It's an evolution. You know, Caesar didn't hand a dollar bill to Brutus. So based on that, everybody in this room really believes 20 years from now, if Bitcoin keeps the pace, it's still going to be the leader in the game? It's No, I'm not. I don't think anyone's saying that. I think we're saying it's just where the game started. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's tough to have a, you know, we don't have a crystal ball in front of us. that will tell us which cryptocurrency will lead it, but I'll tell you this much. They'll definitely be blockchain uh, oriented currencies that exist 20 years from now. I and can guarantee you that. Buying. People are not buying, like to me, the smart person is not buying Bitcoin. The smart person is looking at blockchain. All right. Well, let me get us out of this before it goes on till the wee hours of the morning. So <laughs> as Prath has broken down, Bitcoin is out there. It's the first in the chain. There's cryptocurrencies. Many of them has been built there's the blockchain, which is an integral part of this whole technology. Two black guys with good credit. Sit back. We got more to chat about. And yes, we're going to slowly drag Sean's butt into the future. Matt, take us away. Thanks, Arlington. This commercial break is brought to you by Canvas Malibu. Canvas Malibu is a boutique and contemporary art gallery located in Malibu, California. At Canvas Malibu, it starts with art, and their curated offering of shoes, apparel, accessories, and art are a definite must-see. Canvas Malibu is located in the Malibu Country Mart or online at canvasmalibu.com. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We are talking all things Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So far, we've gone through Bitcoin. We've talked about the wallet. We've talked about mining. What is a Bitcoin? What is a cryptocurrency? We're moving it along, people. It's a lot of information, but uh, sit tight. It's well worth it. You might end up being a Bitcoin millionaire before this show is over. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, perhaps. All right, Big Sean, what you got for us? Well, you know, being around the block that I am, the guy that I, hangs out on the block, you know, I think people want to know more about this whole block. You hang out on the block? <laughs> you mean where the Range Rover dealership is? Come on. I'm the new kid on the block. <laughs> that you are from the 80s. <laughs> and so we really kind of want to break it down a little bit more, Prath, and explain how this whole blockchain works. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, it's... It's a tough question, but it's gonna. I'm gonna give you guys a breakdown that I think will make the most sense. In 60 seconds. In 60 seconds. Let's so, have it. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Faster, faster. <laughs> so, like I mentioned before, it's really about having a, a trust network, right? Where everybody trusts each other. Well, let's take a step back and think about how we can build trust in one another. Well, I think the best way and the only way, really is to have a full history of everything that's ever been done, especially if you're talking about transacting things of value. So, I, you know, with a blockchain, what you have here is really a distributed ledger. And when I say distributed ledger, it sounds like a bunch of googly gawk, but think about a spreadsheet, right, like an Excel spreadsheet, if you open that up and you write something down in it. And it's got, you know, a certain value associated with it. So, you know, five Bitcoin here. And then, you know, Sean has his own spreadsheet, and that has five Bitcoin there. 
and you have a couple of these spreadsheets. Now, every time that we transact with one another, we're going to keep updating that spreadsheet. And, you know, who has what in each account. And the way that you know, it continues to evolve is that the spreadsheet continues to grow over time um, with every single transaction, every, you know, every bit of history that's ever taken place between us on that ledger. So, Prav, would that be like the Google Sheets of Excel? Yeah. Almost like a Google Docs of Excel? Because it, it autom- everyone will see the updates at the same time? Exactly. So everybody sees all of the updates happening in real time. And everybody agrees that the longest spreadsheet with every transaction that's ever taken place is the right one because it is the longest and it has the longest history available. I think I get it now. So, like, just imagine if every Whoa. friendship was built off blockchains. Mm-hmm. Like all the money I've lent Arlington would be there for me to show him. I'd be a millionaire. All that over would again. be that if would be one transaction was, for ten dollars. Blockchain, <laughs> it would save a lot of friendship, and I'd be rich ten times over again. That would be called blockchain. Not blockchain. It would be called Pebble Link. <laughs> one transaction, ten dollars. Paid. So I guess you know, going back to why it's called blockchain, though. So you know. Each one of the all these transactions that are taking place across the world, and we'll use Bitcoin as the example, all these transactions that are taking place across the world are being recorded and they're being time stamped and they're being placed into these blocks of data that are time stamped. So, you know, transactions ah. that are taking place here in the US and Russia and China and all everywhere in between uh, at this very moment in time is being recorded in a certain block by all these computers around the world that are agreeing on the facts. And mm-hmm. when these facts are agreed upon at not on that timestamp, uh, once it gets to around 10 minutes or so, that creates a full chain of record, uh, all mm-hmm. the records that have taken place in that span of time, and that attaches it to the prior block of every transaction that's taken place on the prior 10 minutes. And every 10 right. minutes or so, this chain continues to be extended thanks to the verification of all those miners out there that I talked about earlier. And so the revolutionary component of this is the fact that it really lends itself to less human error. Yeah, exactly. And less, uh, you know, reliance on um, just word of mouth, because everyone can agree that what's taking place is what's taking place, because you can see all the transactions that have ever taken place. And you can uh, link everything that's out there in the world in that blockchain back to, you know, the original moment of its creation um, through all the different wallets that it's gone through uh, using you know, Bitcoin, again, as the example. There was something on Coindesk. That's a, a, a cryptocurrency news uh, source. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure if you heard of Brian Bellendorf, um, Prath, but he was saying that that's what the Internet was in initially intended for, this, this decentralized system. And he went as far as calling it the original sin because the internet ended up going the other direction and using more of a centralized design. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a good point. You know, I, I think originally when the internet was created, like you said, uh, everybody wanted it to be a peer-to-peer network. So all those websites that popped up initially were, you know, hosted on people's computers and other people could just connect to that computer. And uh, it was more of a peer-to-peer system. But I think over time, the, the data demands of, of certain... Uh, websites like you know Amazon and Google, you know, and companies forming around them, um, you know, demanded a more centralized system, 
um, one that was uh, you know, more easily scalable over time because they could keep pumping in the resources to keep that centralized structure up to speed and, and uh, you know, continue to cater to demands. But now, you know, now that we have this system of, of trust through the blockchain, it's, it's, not, it's not essential uh, to being able to grow any given network. So I would say that blockchain probably will limit corruption, but it, it hasn't stopped corruption. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think it, it's, uh, it's a speed bump uh, for, for those that are looking to corrupt um, because of the transparency involved. Uh, you know, you can kind of go back and see every transaction. You can kind of uh, look at different people's wallets. Although you don't know the identities, you can certainly make inferences. And political leaders and such that are accepting payments, uh, you know, I think will have a much harder time in the future uh, being able to get away <laughs> with stuff. Well, I heard speaking to that to that point, Prath, that Venezuela is one of the countries looking to use um, blockchain in their banking because they've had such a history of corruption in their banking. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I've, I've heard that as well. They, you know, I also think from what I've read uh, that, you know, one side of that government's kind of pro blockchain um, cryptocurrency, national currency. Uh, whereas the other one is not as as forthcoming about it, uh, and I'm sure there's you know some type of bipartisanship that has to do with corruption at the end of the day there as well. So you know a f- you know a funny aside. I read this morning that Barbados has tied uh, cryptocurrencies to its dollar. There, Sean Linda seems like the Bayesians are taking up some crypto. <laughs> Don't worry, next time I go to Barbados, a guy on the beach will be like, that'll be two bitcoins for two bananas. <laughs> so, Prath, who benefits most from blockchain? Would you say it's people, it's businesses, or both? Um, I think it's both. I think for people, uh, having the security of being able to trust the other party without using an intermediary is is huge, and uh, you know it has long term ramifications. I think for companies, it's great because it's going to be able to uh, you know make certain processes more efficient internally. Um, because if you think about a company, there's so many different things going on, and it's so tough to kind of get everyone on the same page all the time. But if you have, you know, this blockchain with all the information that's uh, circulating around and, you know, it's everyone has access to the most up-to-date facts at any given moment, uh, you, you can imagine how much more of an efficient workplace that would be to work in, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I will say this. Um, they're getting in on it. They said about 200 organizations have already joined uh, what they call the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance to test out um, a version of Ethereum's uh, blockchain mm-hmm. in small-scale projects. Mm-hmm. And some of those uh, little companies include Microsoft. You may have heard of them. Yep. JP Morgan Chase. Uh, MasterCard, so they are definitely getting in on the game. I, you know, I'm just going to take everybody out of La La Land before everybody thinks that it's the it's the coming of Jesus or something. I still believe that the only people benefiting right now from Bitcoins are the greedy capitalists like myself and like the gentleman sitting beside me. And I don't think it's being used right now in its port where they can say the people or the masses are able to... Wait, how are you benefiting? Huh? Hypothetically, I'm thinking hypothetically, if oh, I were to own something, I would be benefiting. <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> if you but had some coins, if I had benefit. some coin, right? But you're I, but still I, a naysayer. I really believe. I think we're the intentions the are, show and like you're I said, back to what I said earlier, the intentions were, but I think right now it's more of what's the word? Anomaly? What's that word? Anomaly. Anomaly. Right. That's the word where people are just caught up on this wave. 
trying to make as much money as they can from it. From it. The day I walk into McDonald's or somewhere and I label like that, that's 10 Bitcoins, then I would say, hey, it's out there and it's working. So Kentucky think, Fried think, Chicken in Canada is accepting Bitcoin for a bucket of chicken. There you have it. Only you would know that stat. <laughs> Only you would know that. Only you it's, would know that. <laughs> I read it. It was on it was one on, on one of the Bitcoin newsletters. Kentucky is like I think it's um two Bitcoin for a bucket of chicken and they deliver That's it to your house. Bucket of chicken. So I would say so the there real you go. Winning. You said when McDonald's, there's Kentucky in your homeland of Canada. What do you need? The, your Bayesian Barbados is using it. Your Canadian Kentucky is using it. What do you need, Sean Linda, before you say, you know, maybe this thing has some legs? For Prath to tell me he gave some Bitcoin away to his cousins in India, <laughs> then I'm sold. Then I, when I get that text from Tath, he said, you know what, Sean, I thought about what you said. I just said 10 Bitcoins to India. Then I am sold. Okay, but I think <laughs> the real win in the, you know, the crypto world is the blockchain. To me, that's the, that's the key point. Whichever company can come up with the smartest, quickest, best open book blockchain, I think they're going to be the winners in this whole race of um, cryptocurrency. But is it really a race to win, Prath? Because it's really about many entities benefiting and kind of reshaping the marketplace. It's like the Internet. There's not one winner of the Internet. Everybody has gained. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, what we'll see in 10 to 15 years time, and this is just kind of my speculation, is that you're going to have, you know, uh, a multitude of blockchains out there, public and private, that are going to be operating for their own specific use cases. Uh, and we're all going to be interacting with them, whether we like it or not, and whether we're aware of it or not. Um, you know, blockchain technology is really, you know, very technical in nature. And it's kind of, you know, if, if you relate it back to the Internet, it's kind of all the mechanics that go behind the scenes. And when you punch in a web address into your web browser and go to a website, I mean, not everybody really knows what's going on behind the scenes, but we all use exactly. it on a day-to-day basis. Blockchain is going to be nothing, nothing less than that. It'll just be kind of running quietly behind the scenes, but making uh, you know a better world for all of us and a, and a more uh, trusted uh, network uh, around the world for all of us. My last question for you, since you're sitting beside the ultimate naysayer, is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies a Ponzi scheme? <laughs> and if not, explain. So, Sean, are you, know, you listening? Before you start, Sean, are you listening? Somebody's already gone to jail for Bitcoin, right? Correct. Yeah, but that wasn't a Ponzi scheme, though. You know, I think we need to take a step back and and define what a Ponzi scheme is. Um, you know, Madoff he he orchestrated one of the most elaborate Ponzi schemes ever made, if not the most elaborate. You know, that is that is a situation where you have someone that is accepting money um, and is guaranteeing people, or at least giving them high confidence around giving them some rate of return. Right? That's like super. Uh, you know, above what the market can give them. And eventually they take in enough money uh, where they kind of pocket some and the, and the market goes down and they can't actually give that money back to people uh, because, he, you know, that person was spending other people's money uh, without them knowing it. Now, mm-hmm. that is the exact opposite of what blockchain is, of what, what Bitcoin is, because it's impossible to double spend people's money. So to all those people that say Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme, I say, Go read what the definition of a Ponzi scheme is. Go read up about what Bitcoin and blockchain is. And you tell me how to reconcile the two because they are the polar opposites of one another. 
They simply are, and Bitcoin is definitely not a Ponzi scheme, in my opinion. All right. Well, I'm going to take over for Sean because I know he's Googling what a Ponzi scheme is right now. (laughs) 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 Trying to figure that out. But so Bitcoin and cryptos are the technology. uh, Bitcoins and cryptos may be the currency of the future, and blockchain is the technology. Two black guys with good credit. We're talking Bitcoin, cryptos. We're breaking it down, people. We're getting great information. Yeah, take a bit out of that. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We are still talking all things Bitcoin and crypto. We've gone through breaking down Bitcoin. We broke down the blockchain. Now we're going to get into every question we haven't asked before that will answer all the questions remaining that you may have. Prath, is cash dying? Well, I was actually, I I was going to say cash is dead. I'm actually going to say cash is already dead because, you know, who uses cash anymore? Everything is done online. So this is just a better way of doing things online in many ways. Sean, I think we agree cash is, we've been talking about cash being, cash dying. We we were trying to ease people into it, Prath, and you just kind of, took the whole dream from them we've been easing them into the concept that cash is dying exactly who you know how do we pay for like the biggest things in life anymore we don't we don't go to the atm take out three thousand dollars and go buy a a new flat screen tv with it do we speak for yourself man (laughs) 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 what you trying to say man (laughs) i still got rolls and rolls and rolls break down these walls you gotta find something Check the mattress before you go there, Prof. Exactly. You got rubber bands in a a Nike box. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with everybody. Cash is dead. I say it all the time. I preach it all the time. Cash is dead. One thing I don't like, you know, is is I love limited government intervention. I hate when the government gets involved and they try to regulate and they try to make rules around things. I know they're trying to do that with Bitcoin. Do you think that if the government gets involved too much, will it lose its appeal? I know China... 
has some regulation around it in the U.S. as well. But do you think too much regulation will kill the market? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think there's two sides of every coin, um, pun intended. Um, <laughs> with, uh, with regulation, uh, you know, comes a certain degree of stifling innovation. But with something as broad and global uh, and far-reaching as, as Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are, you know, there, there's a lot of bad actors out there that can get a hold of Bitcoin and, and use it for, for nefarious purposes. So obviously there's got to be a, a good balance between not stifling innovation and not you know, allowing bad actors to, to, uh, to use it as a tool. Um, so I think there's some, there's some middle ground that will eventually be uh, agreed upon. Uh, I don't know what that middle ground is, but uh, I agree in order for it to be uh, adopted on a wide scale, there needs to be some regulatory framework around it. Um, what it is, uh, I, I'm probably not the right person to to go deeper on it. <laughs> well, I think the regulation, they say, hopefully will help with the volatility, which will make people somewhat more comfortable. But what I wanted to ask you is, do you think it's all really here to stay? Bitcoin, cryptos, the blockchain, is that going to be a part of our financial world and the business world as we move forward? Um, I think it's going to be part of the um, the framework of kind of a lot of things that we do going forward, uh, whether it's used uh, as a currency or not. Um, you know, I think that's probably s- still up for debate, just given all the volatility that you're seeing. But you know, again, there's competitors that come out that do things better uh, in one area and that don't do good, you know as well in other areas. Um, so, you know, there's definitely a place for blockchain in a lot of different scenarios. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I certainly think that currency was the original application for the technology that made sense, uh, just given all of the different uh, variables around it uh, and kind of creating a trust structure around it. Um, mm-hmm. But there are certainly plenty of other business use cases uh, that, you know, are, are out there, you know, when it comes to you know, maybe real estate transactions or, or medical records or really anything where there's multiple parties involved, where everyone needs to agree upon uh, a set of facts, this is where it can apply. So as you can imagine, that pretty much means everything that we do on a day-to-day basis these days. Man, medical records would be so great. Right? If exactly. you could put medical records on a blockchain instead of going there and they're like, Oh, I don't know. Let me check the file. Oh, we don't have it. Let me call over here. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that a hypothetical would be scenario there would be walking into a doctor's office, uh, them already knowing who you are. You don't fill anything out. Uh, the doctor mm-hmm. does their examination. They upload what they find onto your medical record that you own, that you keep, that you have full control over. Uh, and then as soon as you walk yep. out, the insurance company is already up to date as to what happened, and they adjust your premiums accordingly, yeah. and, and then they start billing you accordingly, and everyone kind of walks away more uh, you know, on the same page and more efficient. I remember, though, in the ni- this is what everybody feared, Big Brother knowing everything, and now everybody's welcoming it. It's so funny how the perception in the world has changed. Well, I will cut you off right there, though, because this isn't Big Brother. This is School a him, mechanism. Him. Get him. Get this him. is a mechanism that's taking control over all this. There is no central party or server or government or agency that's looking after all of your info. This is an automated process on the blockchain that self-sustains itself over time. I don't want any- everybody to know about the wart on my left toe. Nobody no, will. No, but it's, it's not, it doesn't say Sean Linda. It would say no, zero, when I walk the doctor's office, it'd be like, you have a wart on your left toe. Right, but that goes up on the blockchain. No one knows that it's right. your Which wart on your, your toe. All they know is there's a wart out there on someone's toe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know what's really funny? 
I know we're going deep into the medical thing, but who knows what's in their medical record? You go to the doctor all the time. You have no idea what's in your own medical record. That's where the blockchain comes in handy because you could see it. Exactly. And, you know, we should all be able to have full access to that type of personal data. And today we're entrusting all these third parties to have it that are getting hacked left and right. Uh, A really cool use case out there that I've seen is the country of Estonia. Uh, I think there was an article in The New Yorker uh, a couple weeks ago about um, how they've more or less put all of their government agencies on various blockchains. So if you're a resident or citizen of Estonia, uh, you know, all of your DMV files, your insurance files, uh, the government, all the information they have for your Social Security, everything's kind of on the chain, and all you need is just kind of your ID. And as soon as you walk into a building, they already know who you are, what you need, and exactly what status you have. So there's no filling out paperwork twice ever in that country. I got you. What's an Interesting. What's an ICO? Uh, you mean an ICO? <laughs> ICO, sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's getting, it's getting late. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> so an ICO is uh, it's, it's, uh, an abbreviated version for initial coin offering. So it's kind of in parallel with what an IPO is uh, in, uh, in, a, uh, in the markets. Um, an ICO is an initial coin offering. That's where when you want to create a new token... Uh, a new uh, token on, a, on a, either a blockchain system or off of an existing blockchain system. Uh, you go out there and you, and you crowdsource, basically, um, for an idea. Uh, so ICO is kind of synonymous with crowdfunding. Um, right. Now, to, to kind of break that down a little further, there's ICOs that create brand new blockchains out of thin air that aren't off of existing blockchains. So that's kind of the Bitcoin, what happened with Bitcoin years ago. There are ICOs that happen that are created off of existing blockchains. So Ethereum is a platform in which you or I or anyone can actually go in and, and create another blockchain off of that runs on Ethereum that issues a token. Um, right. And then there's a third type of ICO where it's actually not really blockchain-oriented at all. It's just simply a funding mechanism for any startup to go out there and raise a bunch of money that's in crypto uh, for an idea. And that's what's very speculative and I think that's what's kind of uh, raised a lot of eyebrows around Wall Street and other places saying, you know, this is nothing more than just, you know, raising funds for an idea that doesn't exist. This, this smells a lot like the dot-com bubble. Um, so that's, that's kind of the area that you've got to watch out for. But, you know, I think there's a couple different uh, uses for ICOs today. Well, uh, just to let everybody know, uh, Goldman Sachs did a report and basically they said that ICO investment spending has actually, sur- or sorry, investment um, funding that's been raised actually has surpassed traditional venture funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not that. And that's, just in the, and that's just in the first half of 2017. Yeah, I'm not that surprised that that's the case because, you know, the big shtick in the VC world is that, you know, they're putting all this money into startups. Um, and a lot of them aren't going public and a lot of them aren't, you know, getting to exit opportunities where they could liquidate their investments or realize those gains. Uh, but with an ICO, you have almost immediate liquidity uh, with uh, with a project that you're trying to trying to back. So I'm not that yeah, surprised. They said at it's all. topped up one point six billion dollars already with the B, the big not the big the B. Big B. The big exactly. B. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, hypothetical scenario, if uh, Uber went with an ICO, you know, years ago when it was initially looking to fund itself, you know, you, there would be an Uber token out there and it would be publicly traded, but actually not necessarily a stock. 
Um, and all these VCs that got in originally could have, you know, cashed out at any given time and they wouldn't have been locked up as they have been up until this point because Uber still hasn't gone public. Bit, you said earlier that when you want to purchase a Bitcoin, you have to go on an exchange. Some of the most popular, the, the better known exchanges are um, Coinbase, Binance, Bittrex. Are those exchanges regulated? Yeah, they are to a degree. Um, and I'll say that the ones that are handling dollars going in and out of them are more regulated than the ones that are only dealing with cryptocurrencies themselves. Um, and the reason for that, obviously, is that you know they need to keep track of of money laundering um, and kind of knowing their their customers, you know, the AML and KYC uh, abbreviations that you might have heard of before. You know, they need to keep track of all that stuff. So they are, uh, you know, regulated in that sense. But as far as, you know, what people trade uh, on those exchanges and what's kind of going back and mm-hmm. forth, that's not really regulated. It's not regulated to the, to the extent that, you know, the New York Stock Exchange or... Um, or, you know, other, you know, global markets. Well, while we're talking about the exchanges, if I'm a Bitcoin millionaire, how do I get my money? (laughs) So so that's why these places are regulated, because they are the outlets of cash. So say that you made a ton of money in Bitcoin or Ethereum or elsewhere, and, and and your, you know, cryptocurrencies are sitting in a wallet that's, you know, on your desktop or on a hardware or on another exchange, the only way to get that money back into dollars is by transferring those cryptocurrencies to an exchange that allows you to cash out in dollars. So Coinbase being the most popular one in the U.S., you know, a lot of people transfer their cryptocurrencies there, sell them, um, and then they're now sitting on a bunch of dollars. Now they can withdraw those dollars back into their bank accounts. Wait, um, but, but how many dollars can I sell? If I got a million, there's, you know, you're a Bitcoin millionaire. What am I downloading 10,000 a day or am I doing 500,000 a day or am I downloading the whole million and I'm like, give me my million? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the answer is that it depends. If you have, you know, 10 million that's sitting in there and they've seen that 10 million grow in your own Coinbase account from the point that it was only, you know, $10,000, then they know that where that money's come from and they're more, uh, you know, happy to increase the limit that you can withdraw uh, because they've actually seen where that money comes from. But if you, they've never seen that money grow in your Coinbase account and that's simply currency or crypto assets that are flowing into Coinbase and now you're exchanging them for dollars, then they're going to kind of keep that limit low because, you know, they don't want to get in trouble in terms of allowing you to money launder through them. But just to add to your point, like being cash being dead, getting back to that, you see more cash converting to Bitcoin and more Bitcoin converting to cash right now. Uh, I think it varies um, on a day-to-day. I know Dion mentioned that there was about $600 billion in market cap right now. That number continues to kind of, you know, bounce around between, you know, 550 to 800 or I think it surpassed 800 a couple weeks ago. You know, you're seeing cash kind of flow in and out. And also it's a global market. So there's other fiat currencies around the world that are kind of moving in and out. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, uh, people that are kind of in it for the long term, for the long haul, are simply parking their cash in certain cryptocurrencies that they think will just rise in value over time. And there's no reason to kind of pull out that cash unless you need it. Um, so I think a lot of cash is sticky and it's going to stay in the market. So in 2018, as we speak right now, would you, if Bitcoin and cash were on par, would you rather have Bitcoin in your pocket or cash in your pocket right now? If it was 2008 or right now, you mean? 2018, today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because it was 2008, we all know what the right answer is. Um, if it's right now, I'd say that there is a, you know, a reasonable, responsible amount of cryptocurrency that any one person should have. 
You know, mm-hmm. this is very speculative. This could go to a million. It could go to zero. You know, and right. it's anyone that could, that tells you that they have you know the answer is is lying to you because they don't. Um, so you need to be careful. But at the same time, I think there's room for uh, these types of assets in anyone's investment portfolio because um, you know we're all looking for diversification at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. And this is an asset um, and a part of that investment thesis that actually gives you uh, a certain level of diversification because it's uncorrelated with stocks. It doesn't move the same way that stocks and bonds and, and other traditional investment assets have in the past. So for you to have this, it actually does increase your chances that your portfolio will be able to withstand up and downs in the overall market going forward. So I don't think that there's any reason why you shouldn't have 1% to 5%, call it, uh, in this alternative asset class, which is kind of the way that I look at it now. I think the most important thing is that you, you invest what you can afford. Absolutely. You invest You're not betting the house. Yes, you exactly. invest what you can afford to lose. Yeah. Least- Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think, Dion, that's a great point because someone did say, like, if you're investing in crypto, don't invest money you can't afford to lose because it's a very volatile market. So if you're putting, uh, if you just put 25000 on a credit card because you're hoping to turn it into forty or fifty. That's not a smart thing to do. But if you want to put 2000 1000 or whatever on there and see what happens, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, that can help you from a portfolio perspective, like I said earlier, but it can also help you just, you know, familiarize yourself with what's going on, what, what these things are, what the market is. Uh, because I think these things are here to stay. Um, the composition of what's out there today, is that going to be the same as it is 10 years from now? I don't know. You know, who knows? But I certainly think blockchain, cryptocurrencies, these are, you know, um, these are technologies of the future and the future is today. And we should all take part in that story. You have people like Jamie Dimon, Peter Thiel, Mark Cuban, Chamath Palahapatia, who are just like totally into Bitcoin. But then you got old crusties like Sean that are like, totally anti it what is it is it the fact that it's just so non-traditional that people can't wrap their heads around it right now yeah i mean you know i think a lot of these people within finance uh you know the jamie diamonds of the world you know they came out months ago saying you know that this was a fraud that you know anyone who invests in this stuff is is doing so at their own risk and that they're foolish and that he would fire employees doing this kind of stuff you know, and then a week ago, he came out and said that he regretted what he said back in September. So people are beginning right. to realize that, you know, there there is, uh, you know, value in, in all of all of what's going on today with, you know, people recognizing that this is here to stay. That this technology has all sorts of interesting, um, you know, use cases for it. Uh, and I think it's just going to take a matter of education and, and people seeing it, uh, you know, get applied in real world situations. Uh, where they're finally going to be able to kind of turn around and say, okay, well, maybe we missed something back then. Maybe there was something about this technology that we didn't really fully grasp, and maybe we were a little too hasty coming out and saying things against it. Um, and I'll just kind of, you know, end off that comment by saying, you know, Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, you know, everybody looks up to Warren Buffett and all of his... That's Sean's man right there. Sean, that's your man right there. <laughs> yes, Sean's boy. Um, <laughs> My boy, too. You know, I have a huge respect for, obviously, Warren Buffett, and, and I think the entire world does. Um, and one of his cornerstone um, things that he always used to say and still says is that you should never invest in something that you don't understand. 
Um, and that makes perfect sense. Um, but, you know, for him to come out and say that, you know, this type of stuff is too, is too volatile for him, um, that he, sh- he doesn't recommend anyone get involved in it, and then also say that he doesn't fully understand it is pretty contradictory in my mind. Um, so I think I think everybody Are you contradicting Warren Buffett right now. Are you? I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm it, just calling out he, that he's contradicting himself. Yeah, That's all I'm saying. A lot of people called him out for that comment because it was kind of hypocritical. He's like, "Yeah, I wouldn't get involved." Blah 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 blah. And then he's like, "Well, I don't really know much about it." I'm like, then what are you talking about it for? <laughs> so you know, obviously, I give full credit for everything that Elsie's done, like you know, becoming the third, fourth richest man in the world with sound investment advice. Well, but uh, you know, it just goes to show you that there's differing opinions out there, and uh, you know the jury is still out on whether or not this is going to be something of the future. And there's a lot of people out there saying one thing or the other. You know, I'm under the uh, I'm under the impression that it's here to stay, and that's my own opinion. But I think we should all formulate our own opinions by not uh, being too scared to to take a dip and and see what this is all about. Scared money don't make money. Right. But wouldn't you, I guess also, I think what comes into play is that Bitcoin, which is the world's you know, most popular cryptocurrency, has undergone four corrections of at least 20 percent over the past six months. So I can see why people might be a little skittish. But at the end of the day, if you don't get in, you can't win. Yeah. Pat, I mean, before you before you even answer that, I just wanted to say something that's interesting. We talk about the Bitcoin crashes. But how many times have we had recessions and depressions that have happened to the U.S. dollar, but we're still using it? We didn't, we didn't throw it out the window. Yeah. You know, with any bubble, with any, um, you know, emerging, uh, you know, hype and around trends and whatever, you know, the dot-com bubble back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And then, you know, you had the real estate, uh, you know, bubble and crash uh, and obviously the financial crisis, you know, there are benefits that came out of both of those bubbles. You know, you had yeah. the Amazons and Googles come out of the dot-com bubble. Then you had all these people uh, being able to make a lot of money in real estate after the real estate crash and, and make, uh, you know, good livelihoods for themselves. Um, this recent bubble, and I think we're still in it, and I think we're probably going to be in it for a little while with cryptocurrencies, you're going to see some titans emerge from it. And uh, it's anyone's guess at this point as to which ones will emerge on top. But right. uh, we shouldn't be turning a blind eye to, you know, something that is here to stay. I heard that. Well, Prath, we have to thank you for breaking it down for us. Bitcoin is officially broke, not out of money broke, people. Bitcoin is just broke, <laughs> so you understand it. So I, as one half of Two Black Guys with Good Credit, I'd like to say thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your per- bits of wisdom. <laughs> uh, thank you, Prof. Absolutely. Happy that was to. Great. Thank you for having me. And uh, you know, if anyone has any questions, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, make, we'll funnel it through Big Sean. Okay. So yeah. you can email me at slynn.financiallyclean.com if you have any questions for Prof. I'll be happy to forward them to you, and he'll reply. But if you want to ask me directly, I'm there for you as well. And I'd like to once again thank you for coming on the show for a little bit. You know, <laughs> It was very interesting, and hopefully our listeners really got a, a thorough understanding of what this whole hype is all about, because I know I did, and I was lost a couple months ago, so it was important that we did a show on this, and I think you did a great job breaking it down as best as you could. Absolutely. Happy to uh, contribute my two Satoshis anytime. All right, Pratt, thank you again. And Sean, keep in mind, when in, when in Ottawa, you can buy chicken with Bitcoin. Matt, we'll be right, take us away. We'll be right back. Two black guys with good credit. We're talking Bitcoin. 
nicknightdirect.com is a fast, easy way to shop online. To buy an item from any U.S. website, just go to nicknightdirect.com. That's N-I-C-N-A-T direct.com. Choose your method of payment and we'll ship, handle duties, and deliver your item straight to your door. I'm Sean of nicknightdirect.com and you have my word. My bottom line is simple. New tech and ideas are always scary because they are new. But new ideas can create new opportunities. And those opportunities, even though they may seem risky, can be profitable. Do your research. Kick the tires. Lift up the hood and see for yourself. Stay open-minded because you do not want to miss out, miss out on certain opportunities that could be a game-changer in your life. No risk, no reward. My takeaway, like any investment, do not put your entire life savings in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general. But, however, pick up a couple cryptos, pick up a couple of Bitcoins, invest a little, play around with a little because there could be a huge upside. And just a few resources for everyone, should you want to uh, get in bit by bit. Um, Prath had mentioned earlier Coindesk.com. That's a great site for uh, beginner 101 type of stuff. There is Bitcoin.com. Uh, the podcast Blockchain Motivation and their website's another great resource. Check out the Netflix movie Bitcoin. Um, <clears throat> Blockchain has some great videos for beginners, some musties. Uh, CoinMarketRecap.com. That's where you can get the list of all currencies that are trading out there. And Coinbase.com, which Prath had mentioned quite a few times as well, if you want to start buying cryptocurrencies. And get into some chat groups, you know, like Reddit. Uh, there's subreddits. Um, and that way you can just start engaging uh, with communi crypto communities. So lots and lots of resources out there. Uh, and never forget to please... We are also a resource. Email us your questions to tbgwgc at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Black Guys Good Credit. And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to make it easier for others to find us. Uh, like 84SLOU, who said, Love the show. Hilarious, hilarious and insightful. Seriously, this is dope and really debunks a lot of the financial mumbo-jumbo we don't understand. Thank you, 84SLOU. And thank you, everyone out there in podcast land. My name is Dion Nichols, the lady with the history, the stats, and cold hard facts. All right, I'm Arlington, one half of two black guys with good credit. And I'm changing my tag this week to scared money, don't make money. Peace. See you in the morrows. And I'm Sean, the better half of two black guys with good credit. And as I say every week, your money is your money. See you next time, podcast people. The Two Black Guys with Good Credit podcast is produced by Matt Smith and Arlington Forbes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.